The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. You know, I used to travel a great deal for work, and anyone who has traveled extensively knows that there can be a high probability of things not going exactly how you had planned. Flights can get canceled due to weather or mechanical issues. You miss connections or the rental car place is out of cars, the class you rented. It can really test a person's temperament and adaptability, especially if you're traveling with someone else who clearly is not very adaptable. On the other hand, if you're traveling with someone who is always a cheerful companion, Regardless of circumstances, they can really make a difference in how well you adapt and roll with things yourself. Well, Cheerful Companions is the title of Chapter 12 in my book, The Savage Path, A Memoir of Modern Masculinity, and it's all about the six-pack, the group of men I backpacked with for 20 years. To learn more about the book, visit my website at www.thesavagepath.com. The price of the book, both the paperback and Kindle version, are reduced while we promote the book through this series on the show. My guest today is a member of the Six Pack. His first trip was back in 1992, and after a death-defying march through September blizzards and the Beartooths, he still wanted to come back and do some more hiking with us. This year, then, makes 30 years that we've known each other as cheerful companions. And by the way, I'm covering diversity and inclusion in this episode because my guest is a graduate of the University of Texas. (laughs) Joe Christo, (laughs) welcome to Wrestling (laughs) with the Inner Man. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks, David. I don't know who's uh, really given up the most. Uh, me doing a uh, talk show with an Aggie uh, <laughs> and putting a Longhorn together. So we'll see where this takes us. Okay, nothing dubious there. So, Joe, Joe help our listeners uh, get to know a little bit better about you by providing some more detail just on your your background. Yeah, I was born in Dallas, uh, Texas. Uh, we moved when I was about four years old uh, to Jackson, Mississippi. I tell people I moved out there for the decade of the 60s to see what civil rights was all about. And I uh, moved back to Austin in 1970, grew up in Austin, uh, went to school there and graduated there, and went to work for IBM down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And then IBM moved me up to San Antonio in 97. So I've been in... Uh, Four of the big cities, I've managed to stay out of Houston uh, through that career, although I had a chance to go there. I just wasn't one of my uh, top spots to go to. I've got a wife and uh, two daughters. The daughters are raised, and uh, I've got three grandkids and two son-in-laws. And uh, as far as uh, from a spiritual life, I was raised Catholic, and uh, when my wife and I got married, we tried to find a church where we could go together, and uh, we ended up in the Methodist church. And uh, we've attended there most of uh, my my adult life. And uh, hobby-wise, I like golf, bird hunting. I love my longhorns. And uh, I like spending time with family and friends. Super. And, folks, he just did a Kairos prison ministry, which uh, I was praying for him on that. And uh, he does a lot of things to help others. So Now, Joe, in Chapter 12, 
I describe the fishing and hearts games which made the six-pack trip so enjoyable. So let me read a little excerpt from the book. One unsurprising aspect about our group of mostly type A personalities was a strong competitive drive about almost everything, but especially fishing, bragging rights, and playing hearts. I'm not sure where it originated exactly, but every time any of us were around the lake fishing and got a fish on the line, we would shout, Fire in the hole! So the others would know we were catching fish and possibly move ahead in the catch count. Not every fish was landed, and we often were catching and releasing fish, so there was considerable opportunity for exaggeration of both the size and the count of the fish. Cell phone cameras were not invented yet for most of these years, so photographic evidence was also difficult since we were generally not near one another and had our hands full landing and quickly releasing the fish. There were several trips where we caught many small brook trout but never landed any sizable fish. On other trips, we kept our catch and ate them, but carrying the weight and lemons and cooking oil in addition to the frying pan eliminated this practice in the latter years when we were all trying to get our pack weights down as much as possible. So Joe, Adolph, and I were the three fishermen in, in the six-pack. Now, all three of us caught some sizable trout over all the years on very light tackle and four-pound test line, which makes a fish feel much larger in the moment. On some trips, we caught lots of cutthroats. Occasionally, we even caught the rare Dolly Varden or Golden Trout species, but most of the time it was rainbows or brookies. The high-altitude lakes where we were fishing would typically freeze over in the winters and most of the time could not sustain a larger fish through several years of life. Through all of those cries of fire in the holes, the lies about who really caught the biggest fish over all those years has never really been settled until now. Old Snort, as a mythical trophy in the old Snuffy Smith comic strip was known, was landed in the white clouds wilderness of Idaho, and I submit photographic evidence below as proof, and there's a picture in the book of a large fish I'm holding. Now, I know that this revelation will crush Joe and Adolf, but they will have to write their own memoirs and provide their own photographic verification to make any case otherwise. So I'll stop there, Joe. Now, what was going through well, your mind? Oh, goodness, you're going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Before the lies get too bad there. Yeah. Fishing fish tales, right? So so what was going through your mind when you read this chapter, Joe, being a, a person, a character in the story? Um, character is uh, something I've been described as. But, uh, yeah, you know, when I think back on those trips, uh, the mountain lakes, you know, we'd be three of us fishing, and we'd be only three on that lake. And, and uh, in fact, I've got a nice picture on my desk, uh of me, you know, just casting into one of those lakes and the reflection of the mountains on the lake and just the peacefulness of it. But the reality is I really thought about all the competition and, and uh, you know, the ones that got away, um, you know, the fact that you had to put a picture in your book of uh, fish you caught on a trip that Adolph and I weren't at. I mean, I mean, if we'd been there, we'd probably have caught in a bigger one, you know. And, um, you know, those heart games that we played – pretty competitive as well so a lot of good times uh fun competition you know we yeah. uh, could enjoy each other a little bit and harass each other and uh you know still come out as uh best friends yeah i i think just uh to clarify with the six pack you know so that's the name that i gave or we gave ourselves for the six of us that were uh that were going on these trips because we had Joe was a really a marketer and a salesperson, and I was in, in sales technically. We had a someone in environmental. We had a human resources guy. We had a manufacturing guy. And so we, we really could have 
run a small business. And so we decided to call ourselves uh, the six pack. So Joe was one of those. I just wanted to clarify what the, the term six pack, uh, we weren't drinking any beer or anything on these trips. <laughs> um, so Joe, that would have been too heavy to carry. Right. And, and you know, the, the really the point of this whole episode is, is about cheerful companions. And it's just that, that kind of camaraderie that, uh, that you can only get when, you know, all the other strack distractions are put aside and, and you're just out there, you know, like you said, in nature with God and, and with a, a group of guys you trust and can really kind of bear your soul. And uh, in the study guide in the back of the book, I reference scripture to frame small group discussions, you know, for each chapter. And for chapter 12, it's Proverbs fifteen fifteen. For the poor, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. So, Joe, what, what do you think this verse means by continual feast? Well, I sort of, uh, you know, as I look at life and, and uh, the challenges that uh, we have, tough times, I mean, I don't think there's anyone that just goes sailing through life. And uh, we have some difficult times. We may lose family members. We may, you know, struggle with kids. We struggle with work. Uh, there's all kinds of struggles, struggle in your marriage. Um, but every time I've had a challenge, you know, and I've had those tough times in my life, there's a couple of things that happened out of that. One is it drew me closer to God because I usually, when I couldn't resolve it, I, you know, last resort would turn to him. Um, or there would be someone that would come into my life just out of the blue and uh, no other explanation other than God sent this person to me. And, and I've had situations that I still shake my head at. But then the other piece is that uh, going through that process, it prepares you to help someone else and uh, down the road. And, and once you do that, I mean, the joy you get of knowing that, you know, one, it just lets me know God's there. He prepared me for this to help this person. And the fact that I can help someone, uh, I mean, there's just a tremendous amount of joy that I get out of that kind of a uh, event in my life. So I think it's you know, feast on the joy. You know, some people feast on the negative and, and poor pitiful me and why me and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I think really if you continue to feast and you choose, I choose the joy. And how do I get the joy out of, you know, the tough things in life? Yeah, I think feasting is only possible in the presence of others. You know, when you think of the word feast, you think of a large gathering, you know, this is a feast, you know, and you have a lot of other people to share whatever, you know, the celebration is, is about. And, you know, it does say for the poor, every day brings trouble. And, and you know, everybody has a poor a spirit at times. And, and I think what you said about having a God, you know, is really the way we need to turn to when we have troubles. And we certainly need to be looking at that in a lot of ways uh, today with our societal issues, you know, and, and but we won't get into the, the political aspects, but, so do you have uh, other male friendships that bring laughter into your life? You know, David, uh, I've actually been extremely fortunate. In fact, my wife, uh, sometimes uh, I wouldn't say she's jealous, but, uh, you know, she's like, man, you know, you've got all these different friends and different sets of friends. And uh, she had a bunch of girlfriends that have left and moved off and that kind of thing. And, and so she's trying to figure out how do I rebuild you know, groups friendship, but I've got a group of guys I, I uh, play golf with every Wednesday morning, and uh, these are guys I met in Sunday school. We're in the Bible study together. Um, they signed me up for a walk to Emmaus, and we've been doing a, a Monday lunch for 20 years now. So, great friends. 
Um, I see them three or four times a week. Uh, you know, a number of times around church related kind of things. But I've also got uh, guys that that I go hunting with, and you know, that's a different set of guys. Most of those guys came out of work relationships, and uh, you know, different groups we get together. We do guys weekend. You know, we may go up and play golf in the afternoon and dominoes at night and get up and play golf again um, somewhere along the way. You know, the hiking buddies. Obviously, we're still uh, got thirty-year friendships going there. Uh, so, yeah, there are groups of friends that, that uh, you know I've met over the years, and we do different things. Um, you know, some I got another set of friends I met through work, and uh, we get together about three times a year. And, you know, sit down and just have a lunch together or something, and you know, we end up laughing and telling stories and checking on people's families and that kind of thing too. So. Very fortunate. Well, you, you know, you're very good, Joe, about uh, calling, you know, and just because it takes it takes some nurturing, you know, to keep up with people. And sometimes, you know, there are relationships where it just seems like, you know, you always have to be the initiator. Do you think it's because like you and I were in sales and, you know, that's part of building our customer relationships. It's really essential really to be successful in any kind of sales is I think you have to learn how to build a relationship, build trust. And then so do you think you're, that's why you're more abundantly blessed, you know, with more friends? You know, I really, I, I, I think it is, David, uh, you know, because I look at it, there's some of these friendships could have died off. Um, someone's got to initiate, you know, the getting together and, and uh, sort of, you know, poke the others to to uh, come out of their shell and, and let's meet and do this or let's go do this. or um, And for some reason, you know, that ends up being me in a lot of cases. Um, you know, I know people who try doing that and they get frustrated. They're like, well, it's always me. If they don't want to call me, I'm not going to do it. But, but you know, I'm, I'm just uh, hurting myself, too, because, I mean, once we get together, we have a blast. And so it's worth the investment to reach out to people. And, uh, you know, sometimes there are people that need to be checked on, you know, uh, they've had a loss in their life or, you know, they can't get out and around, um, you know, and so sometimes, you know, you're the, you're the guy that can bring a little joy to their life because you remember them. So, and again, you know, when you bring joy and you see or feel that their joy, you get joy back too. So I don't, I am a caller, so I call a lot of people and stay in touch with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I, I end up winning out on that thing too. It's not a, Sure, it's more uh, uh, value to me, too. Yeah, I think, you know, because that's where you and I are very similar. And I think it's true that men, when we uh, have things that don't go well in our lives, uh, especially, you know, a crisis, a divorce, you know, I, in fact, on, you know, I wanted to just uh, go to the cave. You know, that's what men do. It's like, I, you know, when a bear gets wounded, he just wants to go to the cave, die by himself. And men want to just go and lick their wounds. They don't really want to talk. And, and lots of times that's when someone needs to call most, you know, and I've had numerous uh, people that, you know, been my friends and, you know, they just kind of went off the radar for a year or two years. And, I'm, you know, I'd have to work pretty hard to actually find out, you know, how to get in touch with them if they, they've moved or I don't have a good number. And, you know, you have to put some uh, effort in it. But once I found them and I found out what their circumstances were, they were uh, they were quite pleased, you know, and it made them feel really good that, you know, they were hunted down. You know, it was, it was they were trying mm-hmm. to hide. And uh, so... 
you know, it's just great to have long-term friendships like we have. You know, I had uh, another member of the Six Pack on the show, Jim Skeppens, who has been our trip planner. And, and Joe, you and I are the, are the youngest in that group, right? You know, so we've kind of benefited from the, the wisdom of some of our, our elders, uh, you know, in the group. <laughs> There's a few of them we had to give wisdom to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Talk off cliffs. <laughs> yeah. So how, do you set aside time to play, to play with others, you know, and why or why not? Yeah, uh, like I mentioned, I play golf on Wednesday mornings. So, you know, I'm not good at it. Uh, everyone thinks I play golf all the time. But, uh, you know, we tee off first or second tee time, and we're done about three and a half hours. And uh, that's with some of my buddies. Um, you know, we do a guy's weekend in once while. Uh, you mentioned the Kairos Prison Ministry. That was, uh, you know, a group of, uh, I think there were 34 of us that uh, – did a lot of went on the inside of a prison together, and, uh, and that's an experience where you grow. We spent uh, four days in prison, not the nights, but the days. And uh, but we also spent uh, four or five Saturdays prepping for that. And so you know, met new people, some guys I've never met before. And, you know, hopefully friendships grow out of that. And you know, sometimes uh, you know, doing good things for others, uh, you get a reward as well. So. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think you do have to play. Yeah. It can't be all work or all family or all the other, you know, I think uh, you start carrying a grudge if you can't, you know, enjoy life a little bit. Well, so, you know, this episode and the chapter is titled Cheerful Companions and Traveling Together. Traveling Together can be stressful, you know, and whether you're doing it with your wife or with family members, your kids even, uh, or with uh, coworkers, you know, when you're having to go to meetings, it can be really aggravating or it can be, you know, it just really helps to have someone who's cheerful along. And, you know, sometimes on our trips, you know, we had two two in our group that were a little bit more of the worriers. But in general, you know, explain like what your thoughts are on the importance of just being cheerful and how uh, that helps, you know, particularly in, in like traveling situations. Well, uh, you know, one of the... Uh, uh, thoughts that I try and keep in mind is, you know, those who look forward stumble less than those who look back. And so, you know, when you get, find yourself in a situation, I mean, I've a couple of times been in travel situations where the airport closed. And, uh, you know, one, I was in Houston trying to get to Austin for Thanksgiving. And uh, they shut down the airport and, you know, five of us uh, rented a car together and drove to Austin. And, you know, the people I didn't know, you know, some people wouldn't do that, but it was like, hey, just go to Austin. And, you know, interesting thing on that trip was uh, someone in the front seat pulled out a joint on the way there, and <laughs> the guy in the back seat next to me was a police officer. So, you know, you found humor in that trip. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've done that a couple of times. I, I flew into Washington, D.C., and that closed because of fog, and we drove to Charlottesville. And uh, I drove over there, and the woman that Rented the car and drove me. Uh, everyone else was going home. I was going there for a conference, and uh, she ended up being one of those messengers for God. Uh, she'd just come from my mom's funeral, and and uh, had died of cancer. And my dad was dying of cancer. He died about thirty days later, and we had a conversation. And you know, she told me, you know, if you know him with cancer, you need to go visit him as much as possible. And I probably spent twenty of the last thirty days with my dad because of this situation. So, you know, good things come out of. Uh, when you just sort of, you know, go forward and say, okay, how do we move forward and and try and keep a positive attitude about it? Well, how about, uh, 
you know, when we were backpacking, lots of times we would have uh, disagreements, you know, about the <laughs> reading the map. You know. <laughs> Why don't you relate for our audience uh, a a situation and how how that usually would unfold? Well, it was amazing. There were three guys that tended to carry paper maps back in the day, and uh, we would have three different people wanting to go three different ways, or at least two different ways. Uh, You know, what I didn't see in David's book was the chapter, he didn't mention the time that he and two of the others actually set up camp at the, uh, the wrong lake. And myself and uh, Mike, you know, the two slow guys that were lagging way behind, huffing and puffing up the mountainside, um, you know, followed our instincts and went straight to the uh, lake we were supposed to be at. Two guys were already up there. So, uh, you know, we started out being on, I guess, in an hour or two behind David, and we ended up uh, getting to a campsite a day before them because they came rolling in the next day when they figured out they're at the wrong lake. <laughs> well, Not to uh, say that I was a good map reader. I just sort of followed the trails best I could, you know. Right. Well, it was. we would have some pretty heated uh, discussions about it, and uh, <laughs> sometimes we'd, we'd, we'd make big mistakes and, oh, let's just – Go ahead and try to, uh, amp, you know, bushwhack, you know, just go off the trail completely. And that those never really work out very well. And, yeah, you know, there was a, a saying at Philmont for the Rangers, we're never lost. We're just temporarily disoriented, you know. <laughs> so I think that's an Aggie saying, isn't it? Uh, could, be, could be. Don't we're tell, never out of it. It just might take us a year or two to get back in the winning ways. Oh, yeah, it's been a tough season, man. I, I got to own that. Well, how about final thoughts, Joe? You got any suggestions, and particularly for young men out there listening to this program who may be a little bit uh, short, you know, on on friendships or cheerful companions? What's your uh, What's your advice to our audience? Well, you know, there's a number of things I would say or suggest. Uh, you know, if you don't have a church that you're going to, uh, you know, trying to do it online, you're not going to meet people. But I would say try and find a church that you feel comfortable in. And uh, see if they've got a Bible study or Sunday school, or you know, if you're not going to church, you, there's a Bible study fellowship, you know, which you can do online or in person. But um, you know, where you grow a little closer to a you know smaller group of people. Um, you know, I did a walk to a mass. I did. Uh, uh, we're down doing this Kairos kind of stuff, but uh, you know, if you do, you step out a little bit. I mean, these aren't things I would have done. Actually, a buddy of mine signed me up for almost every one of these deals. And, uh, you know, I was glad he did. Because uh, once you get around people, you know, you start, uh, and especially good people. I mean, you know, if you're going to the bar and hanging out there four nights a week, uh, you know, probably not going to be long-term friendship you want. But, uh, you know, put good stuff in to your system. I mean, you look at David's book and the experiences he's had. Yeah, there's probably some chapter in there that almost every one of us can relate to. Some challenge we've had or something he's overcome or path that he had to make a decision on. And uh, so I think if you put good stuff in, you know, you listen to these podcasts, you listen to positive things, uh, the more positive you put in your system, the more positive that uh, you're going to project uh, to others. If you dwell on the negative and, uh, you know, listen to the news every day, uh, you're just not going to come across as a real positive, fun person to be around. So, yeah. you know, look at ways and things you can do to make things positive. Excellent, excellent advice. And I will say, at church too, you meet people that are uh, not through work, and you know, you can become very one-dimensional when you just start hanging around in the off hours with people from work. And I, I love the diversity of people and and interest in uh, what you learn about what they do for a living. But uh, 
thanks for coming on the show, Joe. And, uh, you know, you're a dear friend and uh, one that I know I can rely on. And in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Prism Specialties. You know, they're in the uh, the restoration business. So if you have any problems with we got some storms coming up uh, maybe this weekend, uh, call them to restore electronics, fabrics, artwork, or even documents. And once again, visit the website at www.thesavagepath.com to learn more. And I'll just quickly close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the six-pack, and, and especially for Joe Christo, who's been a dear friend who's helped me navigate through some rough water in my life. And, and he's always the one who's, who's there to reach out, to check in, and uh, call, and, and, and there to always have a, a chuckle with. And it, it means so much. That's, that's true wealth, Lord, is in, in our relationships. And every man needs them. And we just thank you that uh, you blessed me with these. In Christ's name, amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.